Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! So excited to welcome you all to the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I have my friend Shelly Mazzanoble right here. Hi, Greg! Very happy to see your face and listen to your voice and hear your singing. Are you singing? I am lip-syncing to no song. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite song, is the no the song. song in my head. Well, you're going to have some You're gonna have some competition with Amy Dolan, our special guest. She's a musical theater person, but uh, you might know her from a little mm. gig at D&D Beyond, as well as her turn doing tons of stuff uh, at Geek and Sundry, and yes. uh, a stalwart in the TTRPG and fantasy sci-fi communities. And we're going to talk to her all about her background and her fun stuff. I can't wait. A wearer of many hats and such a great advocate for bringing new people into our favorite little hobby here. I know. So great. Um, I haven't seen her for for many a year, but I do look forward to it whenever I do. So it's great stuff and we get to talk to her, which is great. Um, Those of you listening are pretty excited about D&D Direct happening, I'm sure, and all the fun announcements we dropped there I'm looking forward to both Spelljammer and the Lands of Dragons. Oh my god, we can finally speak about these things. It's confirmed, people! Con- now what? But now that it's confirmed, hmm. hmm. We'll have to think of something else. But did you know that I'm playing some Spelljammer? You have jammed on the spells? I have been jamming on the spells for um, about a month now. And I am playing a Plasmoid. Ooh. And I, I, like. I love my plasmoid. Um, her name is Jelly Goo. Jelly Goo? Mm-hmm. Not Shelly Moo. No, she's Jelly Goo. Mm. And uh, so far, being a plasmoid has really been beneficial because um, some t- like spell jammers are actually, you know, not always just stable. Like, they're ships. Like, there is a lot of movement and stuff. And a couple of times I've almost fallen off but being a sticky goo pile, you actually get to like hold on a little bit tighter than you would if you were just like a regular humanoid. That's important. Yeah. I yeah. like being able to be a sticky goo pile. Yeah. In, in my life. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it often. I was just like, plasmoids, where have you been my whole life? Like, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I am a puddle of emotion as well. Yes. I just Ugh. love the idea. But you could, like, I can, like, you know, pop out some limbs when I need them, but a lot of time I just like to be gooey. Mm-hmm. And um, Sarah's in my game, Sarah Chan, and she, her um, character and my character are are very close friends, and sometimes she carries me in a jar. Oh, just to get from place to place. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's just like, oh, just help a sister out. She just Man. plops me in a jar. I want to be carried in a jar. Doesn't it sound lovely? <laughs> Yes, don't have to worry about transportation or anything. You just be like, oh, yes, here, take me. <laughs> yes. Yep. Those like are it. the noises I make when I get into my jar. Amazing Foley artist. I can make any sound with my voice. Uh, so that's exciting. I know there'll be more information about what we announced at D&D Direct popping off. Uh, but in the meantime, we're excited to talk to Amy. But before that, we're going to learn how to DM. Oh my gosh. With an amazing person named Zach Clay. I don't know how you came to cross paths with Zach Clay, but Zach Clay has officially become one of my most favorite people in the D&D community. I'm very excited for everyone to get a chance 
to get to know Zach, who is many things, but also um, somebody who works with after-school programs and has some wonderful stories about bringing Dungeons & Dragons to some middle schoolers. And we're going to talk about how to get kids and students into D&D for the first time and how to kind of mentor them and actually give them the tools for them to go off and become dungeon masters and run games for their friends and teach other people. So um, lots of ways to do that. Lots of ways also to cultivate growth for the students at the table. Zach's very passionate and I have a feeling that this is going to be the first of many how to DM segments between Zach and I. Well, let's give a little listen uh, before we come back with our interview with Amy Dolan. Let's do it. Welcome to How to DM. I am Shelly, and I have a very special guest, um, somebody that has recently come into my orbit, but I will now feel like we'll orbit around Dungeons and Dragons forever, <laughs> Zach. Um, yes. Zach Clay, a wonderful leader and after school volunteer for your school district's D&D club. And Zach, you have already been such a huge inspiration for uh, cool, Greg and thank I. You. And all the work you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. It's it's awesome to be here. Um, working with and running games for for kids. I mean, I run games for adults all the time and for corporations and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know, the the experience of running for kids and just some of the simple like humanity that you see at the table is is astounding. So can't wait to talk about it. Awesome. Um, so this is weird for me. Uh, I <laughs> said I mentioned this to Greg as well, but I have like lately been starting to think like, should I start a D and D after school club? I'm like, yes, my, you my, should. <laughs> my son is in elementary school. Oh, He's uh, you know, about to go into fourth grade. I live literally a five minute walk to, from his school. Like, yeah. I mean, I. I could do this. I really um, think you should. I, I think the, uh, and it's surprisingly simple to get, to get kids into D and D. I mean, especially yeah. at, at that age when they're, when they're in middle school and things like that, you know, sometimes kids become too cool to try new things, but right. even then, you know, having run an after school middle school program, they, all you need to do is open up one of the, you know, the player's handbook, show them the art and be like, Hey, you want to be a barbarian? And right. then I, that's already half the kids are like, oh, <laughs> this, what is this? This is new. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be super simple to, to get them in. I agree. Um, I've seen uh, like the monster manual. I know is a great gateway oh, yeah. to mm-hmm. um, exactly. They see like, just like even the cover or, you know, they start flipping through the pages and they're like, whoa, yeah. what are these monsters? What are these monsters? Exactly. I must. They either want to be those monsters. So hello, Dungeon Master. Or yeah. they want to fight those <laughs> monsters, which is incredible. But yeah. Um, okay. So, well, I'll probably pick your brain a little bit more about sure. how I would start my club. It's very scary and intimidating. But really, like what I want to talk to you about is kids. Everyone knows that just love the idea of kids playing D&D. It's so special. But yeah. and how how do we get kids and you know students into D&D because mm-hmm. like w- like how much are we actually sharing with them? How much are we actually teaching at first? Yeah. And then also I know you have seen firsthand all of of these 
the the opportunity D and D gives kids to really work through some social yeah. emotional um, opportunities. Like, so I'd love exactly. to, to talk to you about how we can use how we can actually like foster that and encourage yeah. that at the table. So, of course, yeah. Okay. So, so as far as like getting kids into D and D for the first time, oh, I have I have all sorts of stuff for you mm-hmm. and for for everyone listening. So. You know, the biggest thing I know when I first got into D&D, I started playing in 3.5 and I had a good friend who got me into it. I looked at the character sheet and that was the first thing he handed me, which was a bit of a double-edged sword because I I came to love D&D, obviously, and the game and everything. But you look at a character sheet, even in 5e, 5e does a much, much better job, but much more player friendly, but you look at the 3.5 sheet and it's like, (laughs) what is all this text, all these things that need to be filled in? It can be very intimidating, uh, especially if you're trying to convince a kid or or a student who's never played, they don't know anything about it. So the first step that I would do, and I love the, I'll just give this advice to you, Shelly. And then if, if it applies to anyone else, we can go. Yes. But the first thing I would do is one of the easiest bridges is to just start with something that all kids hopefully should know, which is just basic storytelling, you know, listening to their parents, read them a book. And if you can get your hands on, uh, D&D actually has a, a really good um, like publication of what are called endless quest books. And these yes. are basically like choose your own adventure. I think that is the perfect bridge for kids that don't really know a lot about D&D to just be like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to read a story to you. And then suddenly they realize once you get to a certain point in this choose your own adventure book that they actually get to make a decision on how to change the story. And even that concept, you know, they understand from video games maybe, Mm -hmm. but to actually have it be in an in-person reaction and you can actually shape it to yourself. uh, You don't even have to have a, a choose your own adventure book. You can literally, you know, just walk up to your child or a student or anything and, you know, drop them into an interaction be like, you're in a dark forest. You can hear the sound of wolves howling in the distance and a strange carriage passing through with all sorts of bits and bobbles hanging off. What do you do? You know, something as simple as that, right. that oftentimes a kid will just be like, oh, I, this is as simple as it is. And then what you do is once you've kind of introduced them to the element of interactive storytelling, then you bring in the player's handbook, making a character, choosing your race, your background, your specialization, which is very exciting. And I would say expect to do a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to filling out the character sheet. Um, and then it's through play. I would say that's the best way to teach them how to use that character sheet. You don't want to sit here and I, I made this mistake the first time I ever started running for kids and then never again. You don't want to sit there with a full character sheet and be like, okay, this is what perception is. This is oh, what yeah. that is. This is what that's that. Just, you you know, almost tell a story with them. Ask them, hey, do you want your cleric to have fire spells? And just kind of feed off of their excitement. And then you as the adult or the person that kind of knows the mechanics of D&D, uh, fill in the sheet for them. And then as you run the game or as a student DM runs the game or whatever, um, that's when you introduce those mechanics, when it becomes applicable, like, ah, so you're trying to sneak by the orcs without being heard. Time for a stealth check. Here's how you do that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the process I would do. I th- even for adults, the character sheet yeah. is like, oh my God, there's numbers exactly. in the small print <laughs> and I don't like too much. Um, mm-hmm. So really just don't 
like you can even just say like don't don't worry about that any of that now i'll yeah. let you know when you should look at it and when it's exactly. time to roll a perception check you tell them yeah the, the easiest thing for them to latch onto and really for any of us is just the primal you know human storytelling element and to have them be interactive in it um I think that once you get them to latch onto that, and then you always keep that forefront in your mind, the mechanics and the understanding of how to play D&D specifically will come, you know, when it will. Do you get them rolling dice quickly? Like, is that something that's exciting to them? Yes, for sure. Especially when we get the somewhat rare, but starting to come back opportunity of playing in person again. Yeah. Rolling, you know, physical, real math rocks, as the kids yep. like to call them, um, is is super satisfying. Of course, you have to to find ways in classroom management to make sure that they're not uh, making dice towers and clattering them around all the time. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, get them. I don't know. You you kind of need to just get to almost like the candy core of D anD. d What what is most exciting when you think back to your memories of the game what you know your initial character that you first ever made and the stories that you got involved in the decisions you made it's not oh i got a 30 on that perception check i mean maybe it is nowadays for some people that are really into the crunchy numbers but but yeah just focus on the storytelling and and everything else will come really yeah you'll be fine oh yeah it'll be great Um, okay, so we focus on the story. Now, do you give them any background as to like what's gonna happen, like in, just in a D and D game in general, or what D and D is? I remember, I I I don't know why I would have assumed this, but these <laughs> these kids that I played with have never played D and D before, never came close to D and D before, yeah. and yet I was surprised when I'm like, oh, you didn't know it's collaborative? Uh, of course <laughs> they don't. They didn't. They, they I'm sure they thought exactly. they were about to play against each other. Yeah, usually for me, yeah, no, I my tendency, which this isn't for everyone, and and I'm, I always try to take from other people kind of their best practices and experiences, but usually what I end up doing is kind of a, you know, throw you in, just throw you right in and, and have the the shock and awe of being like, oh, uh, I'm making decisions. This is what it is. I mean, I, I get to run for even adults that haven't played for the, mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, I do it all the time now. And as I do, we get to a certain point where we've kind of gone through the repeated interaction that D&D is of the DM describes something, the characters do something, the DM describes what happens, right? Once that loop has happened a few times, then usually I I find a very punctual and thematic moment to say, hey, this is D&D. You're playing D&D. And that's it. And oh. that's how I explain what it is. I don't, that's I just kind of throw them in and, and really have them latch onto. And I think also I'll, I'll quickly mention a small part of it too is when you're running for anyone, but especially kids, you really need to pay attention to what each student really seems to latch onto immediately. Yes. For some kids, it'll be, they love the mechanics. They love that they get to do 2d12 damage, that they love to roll their dice. For other kids, it'll be, I want to persuade every single NPC I meet, even the orc chieftain, you know, um, and kind of gauging that within the first hour or so of plays is definitely a skill to to nurture. But once you do that, then kind of focus on that for each player, I would say. So you, 
it, like that becomes pretty evident quickly than what what it is. Yeah, they're, for they're me, be into. you you throw them. You know, for example, you you say all of you have stopped in a town. You can see a blacksmith working the smoke rising out from uh, the forge as he calls you over and he says he'll make a cool piece of armor for you. That sentence alone, you look at a table of six kids, half of them are going to be like, cool custom armor? I can be like a knight? Awesome. The other three kids are going to look around like, when do I when do I get to go get a staff or cast magic? When do I get to go? Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the boys is going to be like, when do I get to kill something? Or, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So it's just a lot of, in a lot of the sort of micro situations of playing the game, just check in um, and and take a look around, see what pe- people's reactions are. And uh, uh, this also brings us back to the basic elements of people where a lot of kids are very shy. And yeah. if they're never spoken to, they won't speak. And so that's also an incredible place to be in as a DM where you are the one kind of in the seat of power there. And you need to make sure to, in a way that doesn't pressure them too much, that doesn't burst their their bubble that they have around themselves, to get their input, to get them to interact, get the other players to bring them in. Perhaps there's something that they need that character for specifically, you know? So it's a lot of being aware, I guess. Yeah. And how do you manage? Like, if you have six people, six kids at the table, mm-hmm. and for the most part, they all have like different play styles or like, you know, this one wants to kill something. This one wants to talk (laughs) to someone. This one wants cool armor. How are not, not only like, I don't know about what their attention spans Mm -hmm. are. Like I just know from my own (laughs) kid, but how, how do you keep them engaged Mm -hmm. and interested um, when it's like, especially it's not always going to be their turn and they're not always the center of the action. Exactly. Well, And you mentioned, you know, it's not always their turn. So a a quick but very practical tip there is I run into this with combat a lot. And I do this with the adults that I run games for. Um, When you are describing something in combat, that's the real test of D&D as well. Because especially the more players you have, there's going to be some points where a player is waiting maybe 10 to 20 minutes for their turn to come back. Yeah. Even though things are happening, and right. I love to be a player where I'm paying attention to everyone's turn and, and actively being engaged, but not everyone's going to do that, especially if they're new. So one of the greatest things I think you could do as a DM, very simple, would be when one it's one character's turn and they've done something, they've you know shot an arrow at the dragon, you will then describe that by addressing another player. And you'll say, ah, so uh, Llewellyn, you see... Orc, I don't know, the character's name is Orc. You see Orc shooting his arrow at the dragon. It passes and whizzes right by your head. And in a way, you're kind of stringing together and creating an association between the players at the table, even when it's not their turn. Um, And then as far as keeping them engaged just throughout the session, I think it it has to be a balance. There's no perfect way to run where you're going to have everyone be satisfied all the time. Um, so a lot of it is just committing to where the story's at at the moment. For example, if the characters are in a town and they're there to shop, there's going to be some characters or players that really don't care about shopping. And that's perfectly fine. You can, you know, focus on the characters that love it and make sure they're okay, which should be pretty easy because they love it. And then find little ways to to bring in those other characters that don't love it. Maybe they notice something that might lead to a future quest. 
while they're out mm, shopping that's a good or idea. things like that. But to a certain point, you just have to commit to where you're at and push through it so that you get to the next thing, which hopefully will then, you know, sort of interact and engage those other players. Are you like, what's the sweet spot for time? Like, is there like 45 minutes after that, everything falls apart? <laughs> <laughs> um, I typically now for my job, I run games that are three to four hours. And within that, oh, for yeah, kids, not for kids. Oh, usually no. When we when we run for kids, it's usually, I would say, two to three hours max. Three hours max. Um, I did a uh, a summer camp program earlier, or it would have been last year. Yeah, summer camp program, and we only did two hour sessions, and that was a pretty good balance, I would say. Um, one hour, I think, the shorter it is, the more you really need to lean on your DM skills. Because you need to very much, like, if you're going to have an encounter or a story, especially if it needs to resolve within one hour, and you're talking about also sometimes bleeding within that hour is set up and tear down, you know, mechanics questions. Sometimes I've spent 10 minutes explaining a mechanic and the kids were interested, but like we had to talk about um, what is passive perception, you know, Um, and they just kept asking questions about it. So I would say a, a good marker is like, yeah, if you can, you know, play test some stuff and, and try running things within one hour, um, generally works better with smaller groups. But I would say one to two hours is a, is a real good sweet spot. Anything beyond that, especially with kids is, is wild. But yeah, three to four for adults within that fourth hour for adults, even they, they are like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's kill the thing and be done with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a lot. That is a yeah. big commitment. Um, do you have ways of inspiring these kids to, to take on the role of dungeon master? Oh, yeah. So, or maybe you can spot like, oh, there's like sure. a, a tell that somebody's yeah. ready I to think, take. Um, you know, even you and I, Shelly, are are probably we lean on different things and have different styles of dungeon mastering, um, and so I think where you inspire kids or how you inspire kids to become DMs is by watching other DMs a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, either through shows on social media or, you know, a local club or being a player yourself. And the reason why is in order to recognize that maybe a a kid has a bit of leadership potential um, or any sort of spark to become a DM, that spark could be of any color. And by that, I mean, like, maybe that particular kid is a great leader and that's why they should be a good DM. Maybe that kid has a like dictionary level knowledge of the, the rules of the game and that's their in into being a DM. Maybe that kid is great at writing and loves to come up with stories. Maybe that kid, so on and so forth. And I think the thing is the, the sort of end point that you might've realized here is really anyone can DM and I love encouraging anyone to DM and when especially you hand a kid those reins, they will bring exactly who they are uh, to that role. And it's going to be different for everyone. So I think it's less about noticing if a kid has uh, the potential to be a DM and more noticing what kind of potential they have because they all have it. But is it leadership in particular? And if it is, okay, here's, you know, you're going to focus on managing the table because you're already great at that as a player. Or is it knowledge of the rules? Ah, okay. You you have a great knowledge of the rules here. Here's how it would apply as the DM. Why don't you, when you write an adventure, 
why don't you create a cool situation where two rules interact and the players get to, you know, feel that out. So I would say it's just having a lot of knowledge about different player and DM types and then kind of encouraging those strengths in those players. I love that. Are you, do you notice that like, is the role of DM something that they do aspire to? Is it something they're excited about? It really depends on on each kid. And I think there's something about DMing that excites every kid and also scares every kid. And it's different for each of them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I know for me, like I I could improvise an entire session of D&D right now and just come up with everything off the cuff. Um, But I sometimes don't feel like my my story plot points don't exactly land the way that I would love for them to. My writing isn't sometimes the best. Um, and then for another DM, they would, you know, have perfect control over plot points and character interactions and things like that. But improvising anything, you know, if they don't have it written down, that terrifies them. And I've also, you know, mentored kids that that had uh, sort of that fear. So um, I think in general, some of them are going to be very excited about DMing and they will show it. Yeah. And others uh, will have that fear, whatever it happens to be, and they're going to let that take the pilot seat. And so, especially if you want to encourage kids to become DMs, you, you really need to, you know, for every weakness, there's a strength. For every fear, there is something that they have courage in. So, trying to kind of noticing that and finding that be their foot in the door of DMing you know, what they're good at, whether it's writing, leading a table, um, just being social, creating mechanics or monsters. If it's art, that's a perfect end to being a DM, you know? So it, (laughs) I hate to answer all of your questions with it. It depends, but (laughs) no, but this (laughs) it's a really interesting approach to encouraging that role. And obviously like I would never force anyone to be a dungeon master, but if I, of course, if I see them, if I think there's the interest there and mm-hmm. um, I I think it's an interesting approach to like see what they're good at because yeah. that's, uh, that's a skill that a dungeon master needs. Exactly. And it's really just like giving them that confidence and just saying, well, you're already really good at it. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're already doing this in your everyday life. Why not just try? Yeah. And, be- and I think one of, one of the easiest ways even to do that now um, that I got listening to you was, when you as a DM are running a game for, for kids or students, um, we do this all the time where we actually pass the DM reins temporarily to a player, right? I thinking that too, yeah. You know, where we say, you know, the famous Matthew Mercer, how do you want to do this? That is a moment of him passing dungeon mastery to another player and they become the dungeon master effectively. And so, especially if you're doing that with, with kids, Give them any and every opportunity to describe what their character does. Ask them, oh, you know, I get a lot of kids, especially that love to latch onto the mechanics part. They're like, I want to make a perception check or I want to make a survival check. And instead, I reframe that and say, well, hey, can you describe to me what you're looking for? Or how are you searching through these tracks? What, how are you looking through these files on the Archmage's desk um, or things like that? Or how do you shoot this arrow? And you let them describe it. Sometimes kids run a bit of a blank there and you can kind of help them through it and emote things, things like that. But yeah, finding opportunities when you're running for kids to, to pass them 
the the DM hood, um, that will help bridge that conversation too. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's so much good stuff here. And yeah. again, really excited about, you know, because we've been touting, you know, to anyone who will listen, all of the <laughs> the social benefits that are yes. tied to this game, especially for kids. Not to say like adults don't benefit too, but it's especially it's really helpful for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and y- you have seen this uh, yeah. at, at, because you've been running this program for a while. Um, so I'd love to, to for you to talk about what those opportunities for for personal growth are and how we can help cultivate them through D&D. Yeah. So I've <clears throat> found through uh, playing with students, D&D kind of becomes for them, especially at an age where they maybe haven't had a lot of social interactions or have been put in certain social situations, that D&D becomes a sandbox for navigating sometimes very difficult social situations but with relatively low stakes. Um, and so I, ha- I have a great example of this. I ran a game for, for students last summer and there was a group of them. And I, uh, right at the beginning of this adventure, they were attacked by a bunch of uh, skeletal kobolds that were still serving their uh, Draco Lich, you know, their undead dragon master. And they captured one of the kobolds and I played this kobold off as, you know, once they captured him, of course these kobolds were attacking, but then uh, the kobold started to speak and he was like, I- I don't want any trouble, guys. I just, I, look, <laughs> I, I was only ordered here to attack. So, hey, I can bring you back to his base and I can help you. And so two of the players were like, yeah, let's, oh, let's have him join the party. They fell in love with this kobold. How skeleton. can you not? That voice the alone. Third player, <laughs> the third player, he was like, I don't trust him. He attacked the village and he, he hated that character. <laughs> and as we went on, you know, the kobold skeleton was with them for a while. They went through all sorts of adventures together. And eventually, you know, fast forwarding here, they got to the the opening to the lair. And the kobold said, all right, I brought you here. So my end of the deal, will just free me and I'll walk away. I promise I'll never attack anyone ever again. Hmm. And the two players that love that character, they're like, yeah, we will free you. And they did. He started to walk away. And then the third player, he, you know, he had seen the kobold skeletons attack his village you know, hurt his friends, his family. And so that player, even though, even through everything, and you have to remember also, this kid was like, you know, 13 years old, Yeah, all of them. He was like, I would like to attack and, <gasps> and destroy the kobold skeleton before he can hurt anyone else. Whoa. And of course, I was here like, had, were you not paying attention through the whole story? This guy, you know, he, he sort of redeemed himself. But no, this is the decision that that player wanted to make. And so the lesson I'm getting into here as I finish the story is some I've seen some DMs that in this situation would immediately impose their view on what should happen. They'd be like, no, you shouldn't attack him. He's been nice. He hasn't done anything wrong to you. Um, and you, you shouldn't do it. But I think one of the impo- most important moments for growth here is what happened to follow as I allowed him to attack the kobold skeleton. I turned to the other two players and I said, you see, your friend is about to throw his axe. Oh, do either boy. of you do do either of you do anything? And they just kind of stared at each other and they were like, no. Oh. And I went to that third player, he threw his axe, and it's a kobold skeleton. They can get revived. You know, I redeemed it afterwards, but that kobold skeleton axe hits him in the back and he falls to the ground and bodes go clattering. 
And what immediately ensued was a very long conversation between those three players about, you know, oh, what what makes a monster monstrous? What makes wow. it evil? Um, how are, are we judging people just by the where they come from, what they what they look like? Um, and on it, like it even started to get into a conversation about one of the kids was like, yeah, isn't that what racism is like? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> this is how <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that D&D like the conversations that come up and they basically learned a lesson of like, don't judge a book by its cover. Basically that third player was eventually like, yeah, you're right. Actually, I shouldn't have done that. I was just really, I don't know what I was thinking. And so at the end of all that, we had a really insightful and like strangely deep conversation that was just about a kobold skeleton (laughs) that was with the party. And so that example is like, you know, me sitting here at the table, if I had just like squashed, that third player's intention, that learning moment would have never happened. And I was, I was definitely afraid. I, I tried not to show that or to, to express that to the kids, but of course I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a situation where the players are uncomfortable or, you know, someone's innocence getting attacked. But I think that, that it can be an incredibly strong learning moment for, for those kids and character growth that, by the end of that story, the three of them were bonded even closer. They continued working with the kobold skeletons. Their one particular guy was revived and oh, was okay, there good. in the final battle. Um, and that's sort of the, the thing as well. Is you as the DM, you can literally do anything. You can bring back the kobold skeleton. You can end the story immediately. And so I think, I guess, uh, one of the biggest lessons I would say is, especially with kids, sometimes you just have to stand back and let them see if they can work out a situation themselves. Because eventually, when they grow up and they're adults, they're going to have to. And so the, the great and safe thing about D&D is not only is it a fantasy world where the stakes are pretty much nothing, but you're also an adult that's sitting there and observing uh, in a very mature and sort of professional way. You're, you're sitting there and watching and seeing if these young people can work their way through a difficult situation. And that's just an example of an NPC interaction. But of course, that can apply anywhere with, you know, what the players want to decide to do with a certain quest or mission where they want to explore, you know, arguments at the table happen a lot with kids. And so my philosophy generally is to basically stand back and see if they can come to a resolution and then step in if I need to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's one of the things that I've learned. That's incredible. Um, Because I could see that really going sideways if two of the players were like, that was my friend. And that that was a part of the lesson as well, is they saw the the kobold skeleton fall. And then immediately the two of them were like, no. And they had this reaction. And then I, you know, it got to a point in the conversation where I said to them, well, Hey, if you guys saw that, remember, I described to you, you had a moment to take a chance yeah. to do something and you didn't. And they both looked at each other like, yeah, we didn't. We should have stood up. That's and what, again, that's you know, what's that, that was a learning moment. And I, I like that you, that you dropped that in there mm-hmm. instead of like, he's pulling out his axe and he throws it. Yeah. Like you actually built in the, the opportunity to stop it. Yes. So then, that like, and if they chose important. not to, then I mean, that's whatever. Yeah. Like, I I think that was just a good way to 
potentially diffuse it because if they yeah. truly wanted to save their friend, they had that opportunity. Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like an amazing tool for empathy. It's mm-hmm. an amazing tool for like you were just talking about, like seeing what it's like to, you know, potentially be someone else to, to yeah. walk in somebody's shoes, to just have those experiences in a very safe controlled environment which yeah. you know we, we hear a lot of people talk about how D was the key to you know some self-discovery and yeah, exactly and because it does offer that kind of framework but really important for for these kids and especially because of how we know it can bond them yeah. in real life too yeah it's just Oh, it does amazing I, things. I, I have a billion more stories like that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, and but, uh, I will, I will have you back, and we will talk about all of those stories. I know when you when you start running games for oh. your kid and also for for other students as well. I would love to hear about your experiences too. I would love to tell you, and I hope <laughs> I hope I'm saying it was a wild success. Um, my kid won't be there. He already told me he's not joining my club. Um, oh. So whatever, kid. Oh, okay. So um, hopefully, too, too cool for mom. Maybe, yeah. Oh. It might. Maybe he just doesn't want me hanging around the school. Don't oh. know. But when the D and D club becomes the coolest club in <laughs> all of Fairmont <laughs> Park, yeah, then he'll be like, "Hey, that's my mom." <laughs> <laughs> he'll be like, "Can I get in on that?" I'm like, yeah. wait, there's a wait list. And <laughs> you're gonna yes, have to wait. Exactly. Um, <laughs> incredible. So I know you do so many cool things and yeah. I, people are probably going to want to learn a little bit more about what you do. Also, you're a professional dungeon master. So yeah. can you share um, with people listening like where to find you um, on the yeah, socials? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You um, you could find me on Twitter at Midday Clay. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also find me at DungeonMasterDirect.com. Um, we are a s- small team of professional Dungeon Masters from across the U.S. I'm the only one uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have two in Utah, one in Delaware, and one in Chicago. We all come from very different backgrounds, um, very, very different backgrounds. One of us is a physics teacher. Oh, my god! Uh, the other one is a performer in theater. One of us is a writer for tabletop games uh, and my boss who started this whole thing. And then me, who my background comes with uh, basically teaching music and performing percussion. I taught drum lines for almost 10 years and then also voice acting, uh, you know, working on games like World of Warcraft and Overwatch. Uh, and so I kind of bring in all those random experiences to, to create a DM thing. So you, you do can find good us voices. There. From what the sampling we got today. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you can find us there. um, And that's about it for now. And what about your website? Oh yeah, I have, I have a website. It's, it's a work in progress. www.zackclay.com. Z-A-C-C-L-A-Y. You'll find some stuff there soon, but just look on Twitter. Yeah. Bookmark it. (laughs) You know, there, there'll be a a, a premiere release, red carpet, you know, so on and so forth. Nice. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and sharing your experiences. Um, there's a lot of very lucky kids in the Bay Area that are being taught Dungeons and Dragons thanks to you. And I'm very lucky to to teach them and to play with them. Yeah. 
Oh, I feel so energized and inspired every time I hear anyone talk to Zach. I know. I warms my heart. I will say that I have had lately, and I don't know how or where this is coming from, but thoughts about like running. I mean, everybody Whoa. sit down. Just Whoa. like before I say this, y'all need to just sit down for a minute. Okay. Cause you're going to fall down if you're standing when you hear the words coming out of my mouth. I keep thinking about running a D&D club at Quinn's school. Do it. Do it. I'm, I'm here for it. Are you? But yeah. are you there for it? Like, would you be there too? And I'll be help one of the me? kids playing along with them and making well, poop and fart jokes. You can take Quinn's spot because I asked him if he would join my club and he flat out said, nope. Oh, that's so, so nice. What you know what? Kid. His loss, his <laughs> loss. <laughs> he once he realizes how much fun his friends are having with his mom, he'll That's jump what right I in. feel like. Like I'm gonna see all of his friends on the playground and be like, Oh my god, I can't believe you fireballed those goblins. And Remember Quinn when he swung like, that great sword and destroyed <laughs> the big bad evil wizard? Oh, the treasure we found that day. <laughs> Quinn's gonna be like, Wait, what did you guys do? Oh nothing. nothing. You yeah, you weren't school, there. You weren't whatever. there. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Best mom ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really just all about making your kids feel like outsiders and not included. <laughs> in the- <laughs> that's that's the lesson to say. Follow me here. for more parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> Follow two old moms. No, uh, for from- real. Follow me. I've got really good advice. <laughs> killing it. Uh, uh, speaking of someone who is killing it, Amy Dolan is making things happen. So let's, let's talk to her now. Let's welcome Amy Dolan to Dragon Dog. Yay! Yay! Amy! Yay! So Thank excited. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy this to is. have you here. Awesome. We have known each other for a long time, but I'm very excited for Dragon Talk listeners to hear all about what the amazing, you know, TRPG stuff you do, hosting, content creation. You do it all, Amy. Well, I I do a lot of things, which I think is relatable, just sort of a real-life multi-class kind of scenario. Um, But yes, it is. I'm very excited to be officially on here. I've had the pleasure of running into y'all at events for some time now, uh, proving that you also wear many hats and do many things. Something I've always always been like, ah, that energy. I feel that energy. I feel we share it. I'm excited. (laughs) Theater kids, let's go. Yeah. Oh, you're a theater kid. We should have (laughs) known. Yes. I don't suppose you have any ties to upstate New York as well. It's usually one or the other. Sometimes both. I do not, although many of my uh, dearest friends and folks do. So I'll say honorary member uh, and uh, listen to a lot of Dar Williams. I don't know if that counts. Um, I think it's more like a Western New York thing, but... Yeah. Dar, I don't know Dar Williams. What is that? A folk artist. Uh, oh. Goes back to the nineties, but uh, I associate her with some of those uh, those regions, fairly or unfairly. Makes sense. Totally. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's like having those regional flavors of soda, where you're like, that's those are my those are my people who understand what Razcal was. Mm. In, oh yeah, yeah. Cheerwine, wine folks. I can spot my uh, fellow folks. North Carolinians. Yeah. Uh, mm. I was in North Carolina too for for a long time. We've talked about that. It's a uh, it's a wonderful place. Dot dot dot. Has many great qualities and some lovely people in it, and I root for it very hard. <laughs> it'll, ah. it'll it'll get better every step of the way. Awesome. Well, and it'd be a shame not to notice uh, and or acknowledge that you are 
doing content for D&D Beyond, which was recently acquired by Wizards of the Coast. Yay! Yes! Uh, the actual intro portion, for the many who will not know who I am, uh, my name is Amy Dallin. I am a, a tabletop content producer over at D&D Beyond, and we are just delighted to the heavens uh, to be joining the family at some point. Um, because we love Dungeons and Dragons very much, as it turns out. So I think we're going to get along pretty nicely. I think exactly. we have, you know, stuff in common for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that love of D and D, that is love of D and D, pretty high up there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe a lot of people have enjoyed the work that you do on the day to day, but maybe don't really fully understand what it means to be a content producer and really what your role is in all of this amazing content that comes from D&D Beyond. Yes, of course. Thank you. It is a bit of a vague title uh, to cover <laughs> a, a multitude of things to be done. Um, so coming in, I have sort of a broad range of experience in um, producing different forms of entertainment from a personal vlog to written work to acting and hosting and performance stuff. Um, and a little bit of all of that is involved in what I do at D&D Beyond. Um, but a lot of what I do is help put together our weekly streams on Twitch and our YouTube videos and projects like uh, helping Joe Starr, who's uh, our team leader. We made an actual play last fall called Battle for Beyond, which I, I really loved and had a great time with, led by the wonderful Jasmine Bueller. Um, mm. So helping to coordinate that, figure out what we're going to do, bring all of the people together, make it happen, and in my case, often host and contribute to those streams, I get to sort of have my fingers in a lot of different pies, um, all centered around loving and sharing the love of Dungeons & Dragons and helping people figure out how to use the site and the tools, which are things I very much enjoy. That producer role, it really is just the grab bag of what you need to do to get the show made. <laughs> Right? We are putting on a show. We've got a barn. I have secured a couple of folks to bring costumes. It will work out. <laughs> it will always work out. <laughs> of course it will. As long as there's costume people there, it usually ends up working out. <laughs> they, they tend to make everybody else step their game up a bit, you know? <laughs> my friends who are incredible cosplayers, which is not particularly one of my strengths, I get a lot of help when it comes to that stuff. Um, but they, it is amazing where it's like, we're all having a good time, and then you tag in, like, a Gina DeVivo who's not just a strictly creative genius type and she's just like oh you were gonna do this i'm gonna add this piece and this piece and this piece and suddenly you have an artistic vision uh and i love it and i respect it and i am in awe of it uh they do incredible work yeah i am with you the the, the just the the genius behind these cosplayers is it blows my mind every time like how how <laughs> This is coming from, of course, somebody that never really had good homemade Halloween costumes. So oh. I'm still just what what are the wounds? <laughs> I, I have to I have to plug for mine because my mom was up for every absurd idea I ever came up with, which for some reason for a lot of years was like inanimate objects. I was I did a roller skate and she was like, I got cardboard, we can make it happen. Um, so nice. mom really oh. a lot of the more ridiculous I, I was a pair of dice with my friend in elementary school. D6s, uh, but, uh, you know, a little bit more complex would have been a lot more for the cardboard delivery yeah. mechanism. Yeah, the cube no. is easy, but that polyhedron, not so much. <laughs> yeah, maybe not in kindergarten, but you're like third, <laughs> third grade, fourth grade, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, we just never, I always just wanted, like, please, can you just buy me a costume? Please, just buy me one. But no, <laughs> it was like, just look around the house. Like, one year, my brother and I were a two-headed ghost, and we literally just took... A sheet, and it wasn't even like a white sheet. It was just like 
a sheet we felt like my mom would not miss. And we just cut a big enough hole in it and just put it over our heads. Oh, but that's <laughs> wonderful. And that's so creative. You know what? We got candy. So what it was worked. the backstory? Were you the ghost of someone who'd had two heads actually, or did your ghost get merged? I, we didn't, I'm sure we came up with something, <laughs> but maybe not. But I think this was during the whole Tylenol scare. Remember like oh, some, yeah. like there was like poison, poison pills or, and, mm. and it kind of like really ruined Halloween for some of us 80s kids who, A little damper you know, on that. because our, my mom was like, absolutely not that it, People are going to be, if they poison Tylenol, they're going to poison whatchamacallits and Kit Kats. So no, you can't go. But we bugged her and bugged her and bugged her. And we were at my grandma's house and she lived in a nicer neighborhood. And I think my mom was like, well, what are the chances like these people would poison a kid? So she uh, <laughs> she let us go to like five houses, but we obviously had no costume. So we, oh yeah, so it must have been my grandma's sheet that we tore up now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, so it was your grandma who had the two-headed had, person in their family. Yeah. So we just ripped a <laughs> hole in it, popped it over our heads, and we were like, cool, we're a two-headed ghost. Candy. It worked. But see, that's a happy ending. Like a Debbie a- Amazing creative costume. Apparently, nobody ever noticed the resources you commandeered for that, and you got candy. We got candy. Yeah. So... Double plus good. And now I want to know about a two-headed ghost. Like, where yes. I want... I'm, I know. Is being like, hmm, how could that work? What is the backstory? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna send it. <laughs> let me send a text to my brother. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of it. For we sure. will find out. But I don't know, Amy. I just have a feeling that maybe you've been a D and D fan or a, a fantasy fan long before you came to D and D Beyond. Is that true? Yes, that is true. It, it's one of those things where. It is very, very important to me to stress that there is no wrong time for people to start. And they're like, you know, there's there's not a virtue attached to being lucky enough to get introduced early and early on. Um, but I was that lucky. I got introduced to D&D in elementary school um, in, I think, fourth or fifth grade. Um, I had a friend and her little brother and my little brother were friends. And so my friend's little brother was my first dungeon master. Oh. And it was mostly me and my kid brother, like on a playground very rules light, you know? I want to mm-hmm. say at this point in time, a lot of improvised jungle gym-related challenges that we were not very good at. Um, but the the seed was planted, and I found out that bards were a thing and was kind of off to the races. So I, I have been lucky enough that that door got opened for me very early. I come from a very nerdy family. Um, you know, my dad was reading John Carter of Mars in Ohio in the 50s. It was just basically, there was we were... We were all, uh, my mom's a math teacher. It was just going to happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, fantasy came in very early in a lot of ways. Some of those early, like, Bard's Tale computer games, um, mm-hmm. reading fantasy novels. Uh, Tamara Pierce came into my life very early. Um, Narnia came into my life very early. Um, I was very much primed to love this experience. And over the many years since then, I have been lucky enough that I have had a game in every edition back to second. Um, I am not always have not always throughout that uh, several decades span been able to be in a game, but TTRPGs have never left my life. Um, I love a lot of systems. I love a lot of ways of play, but Dungeons and Dragons was first in my heart. Uh, so yes, this moment of a lot of people discovering tabletop RPGs, and by moment, I mean a solid five to seven years, but it still feels glorious and new, and I'm not over it. The, the just... <laughs> 
sheer joy of how many people are discovering this thing that we love uh, and that they actually would be into it. And they actually do really enjoy this, where maybe they didn't know what it was or didn't think it might be for them. Um, it has been just glorious to to witness and to be tangentially part of and now to be very much, I hope, part of uh, as we carry that message forward. I don't know if that's what you were after, but I just... Oh, it is. <laughs> you Absolutely. are speaking my language here, like so many things. Uh, I am uh, someone who discovered D&D later in life, mm -hmm. um, and I have such regrets about that because I oh. think like I would have loved it as a kid I would I was made for this and my brother is too um but of course he got into like hockey and so <laughs> I I would have if he was into d and I would have been because I did everything that he did including joining him to be a two-headed ghost but <laughs> just um but and I, very much same. I think one of the things that kept me loving D&D is that my big sister was almost always in a game. And, of course, no story has ever sounded as cool as your big sister's oh, story of her yes. campaign. Where, like, the... If I, you know, the various people that she's played with, if they knew how much I've been like, I, you have the most sophisticated and amazing character arc to ever happen. Where, like, they were just some <laughs> college kids. Um, but for the little sister, it was like, wow. Oh, yes. Cool. There's that a literal hero worship there. And I think there's some of that happening now. And you mentioned how the, like, you know, five to seven years has been this huge period. It's weird to even think about the before times when <laughs> we were, you know, much more of a niche part of the entertainment world. Um but I feel like streaming and people in games, you were there around a lot of Geek and Sundry stuff that was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, in some ways, were those big brothers and big sisters uh, and big people who were showing how cool it could be for so many people out there. And that's what spawned, I think, this, this, this rise in audience, right? I, I do tend to agree. I, just that I feel like... You know, tabletop RPGs were this sort of unfortunately well-kept secret in that it was a bit difficult to communicate to people what made them so fun. Um, so the rise of actual plays all the way from, from Ack Inc. and Taz to Dimension 20 and Geek and Sundry, of course, um, I feel like the my personal feelings on that is that the major thing it accomplished was people really being like, oh, that's what D&D &D is. Mm -hmm. That looks exactly. fun. Um, which was so difficult, you know, like a book that was passed from person to person was in the 90s the best way for us to get the message out to somebody in a small town out in the middle of nowhere who couldn't drop by a convention to sit in on a game. That was actually the best way to sort of be like, just absorb this, see if it gives you any ideas. They've written it in a best attempt to make it accessible and friendly. But now we can augment that with actually seeing what D&D &D looks like in various forms. Um, and it does feel like it has cracked it open for a lot of folks in a way that I'm so delighted by. Yeah. I, you're, I mean, I only started playing D&D &D because I worked at Wizards. Ah, like it, it, so it, cool. didn't, Sorry. it didn't come to me in any like truly natural or organic way. It was literally like, you work on this brand, you have <laughs> got to play this game. Like, oh, and I resisted it because I never thought that I would be the type of person that would fall in love with with Dungeons and Dragons because mm -hmm. I I am not typically a fantasy consumer. I don't that that isn't typically what I would gravitate to. Um except but for it fantasy doesn't, island. Except for Fantasy Island because of <laughs> I like a good drama and <laughs> and Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> uh, and making people's dreams come true. What's wrong with that, Greg? I mean that's 
I, I can hear the this the scenario being rolled up around that right now. <laughs> Fantasy Island would obviously be an amazing setting, but I think you're you don't have to be somebody that like. You can be, obviously, someone who grew up, you know, immersed in fantasy and the setting and lo- loving, like, Lord of the Rings and, you know, all of the the trip, the typical tropes. I think if there's anything that uh, the last, you know, 10 years or so have taught us about fantasy and fantasy light is, like, there is a mainstream a- appeal to it. And there, that's why there's, you know, millions of people who gravitated towards Twilight, for instance. You know, that's... Those are vampires and werewolves. And yet there's... It's genre. It's imagination. It's wonderful, fertile grounds for storytelling. There's a reason we come back to this stuff. It's the social connection. It is like... I took to D&D very, very quickly. And like fully into like... Was there a moment? Was there a like, oh, yes. Yes, there was a moment. And I'll show you. I mean, I know this is an audio podcast. Only, but I will. I it, I always joke and I'm like, because this was 3.5 um, when I learned mm-hmm. how to play, and I'm like, it took days to create a character. We <laughs> we didn't have D and D Beyond back then. It was actual <laughs> like pencil and erasers and math, and I, I the dungeon master was basically like rolling my character up for me, and I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be awful. Like it's gonna take this long just to create this character. I don't. How am I ever going to learn how to play this character? And I just said, I want to be a sorcerer. I want to be magic. And I want to be an elf because I thought that sounded cool. Mm-hmm. And we, we were done. He rolled up the character. He's like, here's your character, she. And then he dug around in his pile of minis like, like a dog digging up a bone in the back. And then he said, here, there's your character. And he handed me this beautiful little oh. mini, which I still have. And she is has long, flowy blonde hair, and obviously I do not, so already fantasy me. And these beautiful, like flowy purple robes. Um, and he p- put her in my hand, and I just looked at her, and I was like, "I shall call her Astrid, and I love her." And I was just like, "Oh, I get like I get to be this character. I get to be her. Like this." I have like this whole second life now that I get to go out and have these amazing adventures and with this party of adventurers and I'm magic. Like I can do amazingly cool shit that I can't do in real life. Oh. And I want the like yes, I am I am already in. Even if we never started an adventure together, just knowing that like I have this whole other life now. It was so freeing and so empowering and so exciting. And obviously we did go on adventure and hmm. played with, you know, other coworkers who were relatively new to D&D as well, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, and man, like we got so close. Like our little team just just from playing D&D together, like these what the cleric in my D&D game officiated my wedding in real life. Oh. Um and There's nothing like it in the world. Obvious, yeah. And my dad was like, "What? He's not a real priest. What?" <laughs> like, he He's totally a cleric, is. dad. He totally is, dad. <laughs> He's Wait, like which level deity seven. The wedding? <laughs> I know, right? I'm sure he. Uh, I think Marty actually did incorporate some D and D into the vows, but and just my dad's like rolling his eyes, like D and D, really. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's me. Like, that's what, you know, bringing D&D to these new audiences and to new people and just sharing that. It's like, it's so different from what you probably think it is. It, mm-hmm. just, it just is. 
I don't know. Do you have that experience when you're when you introduce D and D to new people? Are you finding people who are already kind of into this world, or have you ever introduced somebody that like never like me that would never have fancied themselves to be? I a have D&D? had some chances to do that, and it is it is glorious when you can sort of bring a person in, like one person at a time. That's sort of like, all right, here's how this works. Here's you know, and honestly. I know what you described about being sort of frustrated by the character creation and the DM doing it for you, like that, that's, or, or how much time it was taking. That's a, a perfectly valid way to get in because you don't have to discover every part of the experience at yeah. the same time. Maybe eventually you're going to fall in love with exactly arranging your stats, but that doesn't need to be the day one thing unless you're immediately like, oh yes, let's go with that. What I do like about it is that if math is your thing, you're probably going to have a good time. And if math isn't your thing, it's easier than it's ever been to sort of minimize how much that's a needed element of Mm -hmm. your interface with the game while still fulfilling all the fun and surprise that comes with having rules. Um, So I don't know. I I love that. Finding out which element of it is going to click for someone, whether it's seeing their mini for the first time or sort of uh, clicking into the, choosing a class for the first time or just jumping into the first time they hit with an attack roll. Um, yeah. That, that's sort of a big like, oh, the, the the light bulb goes on. And I do. I love it so much. Yeah. we Greg and I talk a lot about that, like the moment. Like mm-hmm. you you can usually pinpoint it for a new player when it, they they get it. And it's like, oh, I'm in it. Like there's no turning back now. <laughs> I can you do really anything. See what? Anything. And then you're like, yeah, you can. Tell me what you do. It's yeah. amazing. It is. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. As you're saying, like sometimes it's about the performance. It's about talking. It's about conversation. Sometimes it's about, you know, success or, yeah. or doing something really awesome. Sometimes it's a failure. Sometimes it's when they screw up really bad and they realize <laughs> that there, there's consequences, but it's not, you it's know. It's so funny. It's not mm-hmm. like a video game where where Pac-Man dies and then it's game over. It's mm-hmm. it's so much more of like okay, how does the story continue from there? And that can be really eye-opening too. Um yeah, what are what I'd love to hear any examples you have of people who are like bankers or you know, not fantasy people at all who have been uh converted uh you know or or you know, a, a, some type of anecdote that you have around that would be awesome. Let's see. Um names change to protect the innocent. Yes. Uh let's see. I I have had sort of a, a game where folks were coming in because they knew someone in the game and they were just sort of sitting in and they were they were up for the experience but basically had no idea what was going to happen um, and uh, they they were interested in sort of a healing role um, which and you know it's not it can be a tough thing to hand to someone who's doing something for the the first time depending mm-hmm. on how demanding the game is um, but that is sort of was trumped by the fact that it's like well you're into this so let's do it. Um, but what was very funny is getting into the game and watching this particular player observing everybody else's play style and sort of swiftly discover that they would love to be handing out the big, big damage. Uh, because I, I think less being frustrated with their current role and more sort of discovering like, oh, that looks very cool. I have a feeling, um, I, we've still been playing with the same character with that person, but I think the next time they roll one up, they may be adding uh, a few splashy damage spells to that arsenal. Uh, uh. But that was that was very fun to observe as uh, someone who was just coming in and a sort of, I I really don't know what this is, but I enjoy these people, let's, let's do this uh, background. Right, of being like, oh, I'm going to be the healer because that seems easy to handle or at least to grok. And then you're like, well, wait, I can do it. I can... 
I can put down a, a crazy secret flame right now. Let's do it. I do, and I, not to overspeculate, but this person in their regular life does a job that involves helping others and being very supportive. Ah. Um, so it might have been a, the pure speculation on my part that they might have been like, oh, this is this is very much my personality. But what they may or may not end up discovering is that they, to have a fantasy ri- life where they just wreck shop might be a fun change hmm. um, from their, their very wonderful uh, supportive and, general career. And that is the arc that I've seen with a lot of people, myself included, where you like you have one role that you start with being like, this is my, my archetype. Yeah. And then you branch out from that over the course of your TRPG career, right? Like, you know, for me, it was Elven Rangers because I just liked, you know, that Aragorn kind of Legolas trope. Yes, valid. Yeah, which I like Tannis half Elven too. That was usually half Elves actually now that I think about it. Uh, and then, right, and then just being like, all right, no, I'm going to do Wizard. I'm going to do, you know, Crazy Barbarian who does, uh, uh, you know, a Warlock packed in there. Sure, why not? And then <laughs> it, it opens up so many more things yeah. uh, uh, for people to experiment with. Do you have a trope, Amy? Is there like a type of yeah, character you that you gravitate towards? What's funny is I I tend to circle back to bards just because I was like a musical theater kid who also loved this stuff. So the second I found out that was a thing, hmm. I was just kind of in for life. Um, but I really I I I cycle around my character types. I like to just go between, like, if the last character I played was a super support character, I like to play a smashy character. If the last character I played was a smashy character, I like to play the character who figures things out. Um, uh, and, and sort of, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm telling a lie. <laughs> <laughs> All my characters end up curious. I can try to play a character who doesn't want to know everything and find everything out and investigate everything, but it will be doomed. I will end up either playing someone who wants to do it and is bad Mm. at it or someone who wants to do it and is good at it. But I don't think I've ever successfully rolled up a character who doesn't want to know. That's me too, where I don't, I will actively try to be like, I'm not going to be the instigator in this party. I'm not going to be the person who drives (laughs) the plot forward, but invariably I'm always like, what about this thing you mentioned uh, two sessions ago? Is that something that we should be following up on? <laughs> See, Every I time. appreciate even if, that. Even I if want I have that. like no intelligence or no wisdom, I'm always that there's too much of me that that that's you know sinks in. I want the puzzles. I want the, the info, and they do. They keep creating backgrounds that are directly targeted at us, where it's just sort of like <laughs> you're literally an investigator, literally an archaeologist. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It, you can't you can't get too far away from your own personality type. <laughs> No, but you can learn a lot about yourself through your D&D characters. Oh, very true. So when you were doing uh, musical theater and and that all fun stuff, were you playing D&D at the same time? I was. Uh, It was an interesting sort of combo. At at, at times there was crossover in those groups, at times there wasn't. I also, um, comic books have always been a big part of my life. I worked Mm. in a shop for many years. um, And it's sort of, it's funny because I feel like in many ways I honed that I will be your sister or brother pulling you in muscle over years because comic books have a very similar trajectory of people know they exist but don't necessarily realize there's something that might personally appeal to them going on over there. Um, and so getting them sort of through that door to be like, actually, there's so much going on, and you might love this if you try this, has a, a similar feel and trajectory. Um, but with all of those different influences uh, and trying to be into everything at once, I often ended up with some interesting community experiences where, and this is a generalization only about my own past, but I would often find 
uh, you know, for instance, communities in theater and some of the nerd side with sort of opposite gender dynamics mm. um, at the time. Um, but that gave me sort of a lot of perspective as a person in both spaces, first off, to remind everyone that there are all kinds of people with many or no genders in all of those spaces, um, even if they are sometimes outnumbered. But uh, it, it was it made for an interesting back and forth of walking through different worlds. And I've heard similar things from my friends who are very much sports people. Mm. I am not. Um, but like folks who grew up with both like a nerd side and a sports side who sort of walked in both worlds and tried to translate or, or occasionally you run into someone who's like, I don't know, the whole football team was in my game. Our school was weird, which is lovely and amazing. Um, but yeah, that was my experience of it was sort of as overlapping, but not necessarily the same communities um, over time. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, no, I I was lucky enough to both have that sports fandom and uh, D&D, and I never was able to cross-pollinate them. I oh. always tried to. I had my friends who we would go to baseball games with. I had one of them was a fantasy book f- fan, so we would, like, talk about fantasy books, but I tried to introduce TRPGs to them so many times. We famously tried to play the MERP, uh, Middle Earth role-playing game. <laughs> Because oh yeah they you know they like the Hobbit let's do that and uh, it just they know. liked the Hobbit and you couldn't get them to cross over I think like they liked they, the cartoon the Hobbit when they were kids uh, that was like the one it's a great cartoon yeah. it's a fan I mean it opened up my eyes to a lot of fantasy when I was you know five or six years old too so I thought that was the gateway and then it just ended up divulging into oh the orcs are going to attack at midnight and also I was a I was not a very good DM uh, or GM at the time. Oh. Uh, didn't re- didn't really learn how to just roll with the punches, similar to to um, to, to your story, Shelley. Feel that? Yeah, I spent forever mapping out Brie. I remember that. I remember I had a graph paper where all oh, the wow. little buildings in Brie, uh, and then you know they didn't go into any of them. Um, <laughs> now you have great tips and tricks for how to get them to go into those beautiful buildings. Yes. <laughs> exactly. What would you? So if you had a crack at that sports party right now um, and taken them through the map of Brie, what would be some ways that grown-up Greg would be like, all right, take two? I would have put some actual story hooks in front of them mm-hmm. uh, instead of concentrating on the simulation nature of like, here's a town, make your own story. Which mm-hmm. is kind of what I presented it as. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have done a lot more, and that's why I try, that's the, why the orcs are attacking at midnight type thing. Was I trying to try to just be like, "Hey guys, there's going to be an orc attack happening," and they're like, "We don't care. We just want to get, you know, we just <laughs> want to do care. this. What happens? What the am I supposed on. to be doing?" And they just never actually got into the fantasy of it. So mm-hmm. I would, it, instead of creating the maps and roads and buildings, I would have created characters that would have talked to them and mm. interacted with the story in that way. Um, instead of just throwing it all on their like, so what are you gonna do? Uh, type of uh, challenge, and then they didn't they didn't have it. We were also novice at the time. Yeah, yeah. I would have had more hooks, more hooks. They're well, lost, that, man. We we don't. Maybe a table has come along for those folks in the meantime, and yeah. uh, maybe you planted a seed. You don't. There know. you go. You opened their their eyes to the idea of it. That's true. That's true. I still talk to them to this day, and they're like, "Yeah, we should get together a D and D group." I'm like, "Yes, we should." Oh wow, you did. So you did. Yeah, right? You well, did Well, now inspire. you always a follow-up, Greg. I know. <laughs> okay, I'll get right you into it. You need to take care of that seed. You need to water that seed. Boy, you got to be care and sun yes. and story hooks. And, and story that and plot will, will and characters and NPCs. <laughs> cool buildings. 
Exactly. I, I graph paper. Graph I think I still, the funny thing is, I think I still have the files of oh my God, the stuff that it. I made with me that I've moved across the country to North Carolina all the way to Seattle. I think I still have them. Oh, that's wonderful. Somewhere. I love that. In my I Middle love Earth role playing book. <laughs> so we are now painting the picture, though, of Amy, mm-hmm. a young, bespeckled kindergartner. I don't know. Did you wear glasses? The glasses didn't get there till like seventh grade, but you're not far off. Mm -hmm. Um, Mother was a math teacher. Dad was really into comics, fantasy. Uh, Sci-fi, fantasy. Sci-fi. So we have uh, this picture, a musical theater, a bard, a mm real-life bard, a fantasy bard. And do you go away to school? I did. I went to uh, a high school for science and math where hilariously I did musical theater and played a lot of RPGs. Um, and then as I, one does, <laughs> um, and then for college, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, um, where actually I studied Japanese language and dramatic art. Whoa, <laughs> a little bit of a departure. Kabuki. Okay, like I it. Did, the the multi-classing and yeah. the uh, the jack of all trades qualities uh, were maybe an unfortunate prophecy in that bard uh, attraction at a young age, but. Uh, it, it is interesting because, you know, my life sort of prepared me with, you know, filled me with a deep love of a lot of um, these, of fantasy and science fiction, of math and science and a lot of the stuff that especially back in the 90s would sort of fall under the heading of nerd stuff. Um, but also had this simultaneous performance track that I've always had that I'm very interested in. Um, and sort of as that blended into storytelling, um, in a way, literally none of us could have predicted. It turns out those were compatible things yes. to be into in the long run. Which is bringing me to my question here. But so all of this in your background, like we can kind of prophesize like where we think you'll end up because we know the end <laughs> of the story here. But you probably, you I mean, you probably didn't even know that what you do now could be a job. So how did you make your way into being a content producer for D&D Beyond? Yes. Okay, uh, let's see. What is a version of this story that makes sense and fits in a small amount of time? No, we're going uh, for no, long. No, we want to know. Start at the beginning. And That's when you why, get- I mean, it's got to be at least longer than my question. <laughs> <laughs> the answer has to be longer than that very long-winded question. Well, after school, after studying drama and, you know, continuing to play RPGs and be into comics, uh, I moved out to Los Angeles uh, looking to be involved in the entertainment industry because passionate about stories. Um, I love acting and performing. And as it turns out over time, I quite like writing and some of these other elements that I sort of hadn't thought to try at an earlier point. Um, I think on a, on a related note, I've been playing D&D this whole time, but I only started DMing in, I don't know, like 2018 or so, which still feels like yesterday in terms of it took me a long time to hop behind that screen uh, because oh, I just for I assumed I couldn't do it for a long time. Um, mm. And as it turns out, it's lovely and everyone should try it. And yes, it is hard, but sorry, little, little plug. Um, please try it. It may or may not be for you, but it is fun in a completely indescribable way that even with a bunch of play under your belt, you don't understand how fun it's going to be until you've tried it for yourself. And yes, it will probably be messy, but please, uh, just as a personal favor to me, try it anyway, uh, because it is so rewarding. Okay. Go Dungeon Master! <laughs> Back on uh, topic there. I, okay. I had trained a lot in performance. I had trained some in storytelling. Um, and 
as it turns out, because many of us, when we get to Los Angeles, we do various day jobs. So I worked in a restaurant and I worked on sets and I did this and I did that. And I got a day job in a comic book store. Oh, nice. As alluded to earlier. And that became obviously very personally important to me. So my dearest friends are the folks that I know and have met um, through many years at that uh, shop. Which sort of, I'm still family emeritus over there, a small store in Burbank, California called House of Secrets. Oh. But one of the people that I met through this story, and it's it sounds a little ridiculous to say out loud, but it is actually the case um, that through that shop, I became friends uh, with Will Wheaton. Mm. Nice. Um, who is one of the many wonderful nerds that live in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, there came a point in time circa 10 years ago where Will came in and was like, hey, by the way, do you like board games? <laughs> and I was like, is that a trick question? I what? Um, and as it turned out, he was putting something together that was mostly consisting of established entertainment industry professionals, but he was looking for a few sort of friends and other folks to sit in on. Um, and that is how I came to be in a season one episode of Tabletop. Mm. Wow. Almost exactly 10 years ago, which is giving me some real timeline vertigo uh, wow. as, as we prepare to join the wizards but uh long story still pretty long that was the beginning of my working relationship with what became geek and like geek and Sunday was launching the youtube channel and then eventually a twitch channel and then various other over the the course of that next intervening decade i got to create and participate in many many different shows uh including tabletop stuff comic book stuff uh, some really wonderful uh, things that we got to make with really incredible partners and that gave me some of my best friends um, over the, the the years that followed that first interaction. I, I hosted the first International Tabletop Day in 2013, and it was my first time going live to the internet, <laughs> uh, uh, which I can now admit, but probably showed pretty clearly. I <laughs> no one knew. Everything was new back then. Yeah. Right? Like it was, live streaming was still very nascent in 2013. Yes. Uh, so it, again, at the time, didn't think maybe in a few years I will be helping produce live streams on topics like this that will do this mission of bringing more people into gaming, which is very much something I share. Um, and so throughout, yes, I, I then I ended up working like with Geek and Sunny, with Nerdist over uh, making some appearances with friends at various outlets like Screen Junkies, um, uh, showing up, uh, I had a show at Collider for a while where we talked about superhero movies um, as the sort of LA bubble of people who are excited about things and want to share them for a living uh, came and evolved and grew over time. Um, and of course, that did involve getting to have a close look and helping it at times with the launch of some of the, the things that are very dear to my heart. So tabletop as it grew, I was not a major you know driving force, but I was on several times. I got to do some behind the scenes material um, and sort of root for the success of that. And then, you know, a, a few friends who decided to share their actual home game on a Twitch stream. Uh, and we were like, cool, y'all are great. This is going to be awesome. And uh, it was 10 times as awesome as anybody predicted. Uh, and it became Critical Role. And I'm very fond and proud is a weird word to use because they did it all by themselves and I had nothing to do with it. But I still <laughs> feel proud because they're, they're good beans uh, and I'm very happy for them. And I've worked with some of that cast on other projects closely uh, and just personally fond of the whole endeavor, uh, which I think is not a secret to anyone, but. That's awesome. 
So the secret to uh, success is just work at a comic book shop. Literally going to say the same thing. That I has but I'm hearing former Star Trek kid actors <laughs> go to it. It you feels never obnoxious know. because it's like you know just happen to be in the right place at the right time, but be obsessed with this stuff for your whole life first. I it's not practical advice, and I feel bad about that. Uh, you <laughs> but know, you shouldn't because I think you know you're you're discounting or even just me, but that offhanded joke is discounting all of the work that you had to do leading up to that to be in the right moment, to have the right set of, you know, you know, bardic personality, yeah. uh, uh, charm, and, uh, you know, rec- and being in the right place to be able to recognize that when Mr. Will Wheaton was looking for someone to <laughs> to kind of fill that role, right? So, you know, that's what I've told people when people are like, oh, how do you, you know, what, what are some advice that you have for, for breaking into the industry? It's just like, do your stuff, and be ready when opportunity is there, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. I mean, you can't just go from like, I can make a pretty good recommendation on a comic book to like actually producing shows. Like, there, I mean, you have, you obviously had the skill set to do that. But also, what's interesting is like comic books, DD, you know, fantasy is kind of that, that level playing field where like Will Wheaton. And someone who works at a comic book shop can actually just become friends. <laughs> it's like, it's bizarre to think, but like, we, whoever you are that and you love Dungeons and Dragons, when you find that connection with someone, it doesn't matter who they are. It just kind of levels everything for everyone. There is an inherent degree to which we have something in common and we yeah. have something to talk about. And it's one of those things that, like, uh, you know, while any given person's time is limited and the number of people that they can know and be close to is, is is not infinite, if you throw a bunch of us together at a convention, there is something we have that we both love. There is a beginning for that. There is a, a topic that unites us uh, in that kind of affection, even if we may then fight about all the tiny details forever, which is another right. thing we enjoy. <laughs> um, but but I, I, I do agree that that sort of beautiful sense of like, if you meet another person who loves shared play, their, their style may be totally different from yours, but you do have something in common. You have something you share, which is that you have enjoyed the unique uh, ups and downs and and triumphs of sitting at a table telling a story together. And you kind of can't help it. That is something that binds you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's something else that is really interesting about your story, which I've heard, uh, we were just, um, I was just discussing the Get Back, the Beatles documentary mm. uh, that came out on Disney Plus a few months ago. Um, and one of the kind of record executives that we're talking about, like, why did you sign the Beatles? Like, why did you, like, what was it about them that made you want to take this relatively obscure act from Liverpool, England, and mm-hmm. like, you know, sign them for a record deal? And he was like, they were... They were they were just good lads. They were good to be around. They were funny. They were charming, uh, all, both on stage and off stage. And the music was good. You know, it was okay. But like, it really was just because they liked being around them, and other people liked being around them. And then they had all the success and the, you know all the things that come in and 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 from that. And I think that's that there was a lesson that kind of took a long time for me to sink in, which was like you know, there is this idea of being this tortured artist and, like, I'm so, I don't like anything and I hate people and blah, 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 like, you know, the whole Oscar Wilde misanthrope type of thing. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's not how you get jobs. 
That's not how you. No. That's not how you work that's with people. That's not how you keep jobs. That's not how you keep jobs. That's not how you you know organize a creative endeavor around your idea, right? It all comes from positivity and not toxic positivity, but just enough of like you know you want to be there and and be fun to be around and create something uh, great together. Well, and, and certainly, if if you are on a team, whether that team is trying to fight a dragon or put a film together, you just by necessity, those are both going to require some cooperation. Like there are folks who can can create a a small scale RPG by themselves and design ones for people to run solo, but those are exceptions in a field of what by mostly by definition demands cooperation and working together to make something happen. Yeah. Um, and of course, film is very much like that, and so that that's. The, the intervening years in those 10 years were all about sort of trying new things and creating new shows and learning new skills. And the the key ingredient across a lot of those was the people that I got to meet and work with doing those shows um, where we each made each other better and taught each, uh, new skills. And uh, sort of that that bonding experience has led in, in the long term to, you know, Joe, my, my current team leader at D&D Beyond, is somebody that I knew from working with him on some of those one-off things here and there. We rolled some uh. dice at a Star Wars RPG together, which gives you, you know, a good sense of like, I like this guy. I think we get along and could work well together because uh, Star Wars went well. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so- and, that's, and that's one of the things that it just it always opens my eyes to be like, you learn that by playing Dungeons and Dragons, by playing other TRPGs. It's like being open to new experiences, being open to other points of view, and then uh, working together towards that common goal. Um, it te- it's, you know these these games teach that inherently just by their the their, their, the way they they facilitate storytelling, mm-hmm. and using that in a professional sense. That's what you did. It's what you know in some ways Shelley and I have done on a on a on a smaller scale. You know, just getting people together on, and and getting people excited about stuff. And I just love that. That's just one of the things that is really special about this this hobby. I also it just it, I feel a. Uh, personal responsibility wise when I tell my story and just sort of cut from Will Wheaton to today it is <laughs> cutting out a whole lot of really wonderful people who like I worked with or gave me meaningful opportunities in the meantime obviously Felicia Day as she was starting up the channel um, was a big part of of getting access to some of those early opportunities to do things a producer named Jenny Powell was very important when I started making my own vlog content she was helping me build up those skills and coordinate um, as we moved in that direction. And a lot of people since then, it, it's, it is fun to sort of be like, this happened and yada, 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 10 years later. Um, but of course, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of really wonderful people I was lucky to work with along the way. And now Absolutely. I feel less guilty for leaving them out. Sorry. <laughs> like a true bard giving, giving credit where credit mm-hmm. is due. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and that's again another thing that is taught by this game of like you don't do it by yourself. It's not mm-hmm. a it's not a uh, you know a solo game. This is something that you're doing with all the people around you, and each relationship and connection you make, um, you know, strengthens that party. Yes, and my current party, uh, along with Joe Star, and we we have a wonderful team at D and D Beyond. But there is a set of the three of us who are kind of content production, and we divide it up between the realms. So Joe Star is our amazing leader, an incredible writer, wrote a lot of honest trailers, has been nominated for a ton of very impressive awards, but just a, a relaxed, excellent dude in general. And then uh, the third in our little party is Michael Galvis who I did not know before coming into this job a year ago, but who uh, heads up our editorial content and is just one of my favorite people on the planet, which is just good luck or 
good judgment on Joe's part. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but Michael <laughs> has been just an absolute boon uh, as a person that that has been so much fun to talk D&D with and, and apply his formidable creative skills as we work on all this stuff together. That's awesome. It's a great team. Yeah. Thank you. And you guys are getting ready for uh, promoting Jasper's Game Week uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming weeks, right? Yes, we have a major thing coming up over on D&D Beyond, uh, which is this year we are once again hosting the Jasper's Game Week charity event. It will be, oh, I want to say the fourth annual. There's a slight chance I have that number wrong. Um, but of course... Many of y'all may be familiar with, not everybody listening might be, uh, with the organization Jasper's Game Day, a wonderful organization that supports mental health and suicide prevention. Um, and Fenway, who started that organization, has been just a beautiful force uh, in the community over these last couple of years. And every year, a bigger and better celebration with many partners uh, for Jasper's Game Day. Um, Jasper's Game Week in this year will consist of five days of streamed games on D&D Beyond and some really exciting follow-up events with other partners for Jaspers um, that you can find more details on on an article on our website on dndbeyond.com and also on the Jaspers Game Day socials. The auctions uh, have already closed. There's a unique format to these where you can bid to take a player seat in some of these games, along with some of our guests like Brendan Lee Mulligan and Travis McElroy and Satine Phoenix and some really exciting folks uh, sitting down with us this year that we're very lucky to have on board. You, uh, you were able to bid for seats to join us, but when the event begins, there will also be the ability to directly donate to Jasper's Game Day during the event and potentially sow some chaos in those games. Uh, for, yes. So I... Specifically, I get to DM a game this year with Lee Goldberg, the amazing pancake artist. Oh, lovely. Who will be producing chaotic elements that drop into the game as soon as the pancake is done, which you, the donators, can determine. And on that journey with me, I will have Christina Ariel and Travis McElroy. Oh, and my gosh. whoever our, our guest contributors are who won those auction seats. And I am very, very excited. And I hope that if if this sounds interesting to anybody listening, we would love to have you tune in, spread the word, and support that cause. We're so proud to partner up with them again. That's great. So That's many great. of those names are people that have been at D&D Lives of yore. I remember Lee at the the Waterdeep one in yes. 2018, making pancakes of my kids, which we then ate, which felt weird, <laughs> but Don't it was awesome. Don't take through. It's no symbolism at all. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it was really cool. And I think I have back here, I have a pancake that he gave me uh, um, preserved in polyurethane. Oh, my of God. The Ghost of Saltmarsh alt cover. And it is truly like you can't tell that it's a pancake. It oh looks like God. a, He's a like work of art. It is amazing. Crazy talented. He's a spectacular artist. <laughs> Yeah, so being able to do that on the fly and and make stuff out of pancake dough uh, with all the amazing folks also in your game, that's amazing. Um, I have a quick question. Yes. And you know... I don't know why I'm saying yes, but There's no, like, actual quick questions. But you mentioned (laughs) something about Lee, like, dropping, like, chaotic elements into the game, and you're the dungeon master, and you're so excited. I would really love to understand how... Um, as a dungeon master, like that's exciting to you because that makes my stomach hurt. Like chaotic well, elements, and I like. How are you preparing for this? Uh, first, the fear, and then the deliberate decision to ignore the fear. Uh, <laughs> it, in in my case, it's just that, especially for a game like this one, um, I know that we are all there for 
the fun of supporting this cause, um, which while I still want to deliver the highest quality gaming experience to soothe my own nerves, which as a dungeon master, even a few years in, are still pretty considerable. I just learned to live with them. Um, yeah. That that as I prep, I am going to keep reminding myself that if it doesn't go perfectly smoothly, if not everything lands like I hope, everyone here has chosen to be here for the sake of this thing that we all believe in. Um, and in general, I've played in a few Jasper's games now and I've always had a great time. And I think part of it is because we all have opted into that experience together, which really uh, helps to shape the experience in, for me. Um, does not mean that I don't want to deliver an amazing, uh, memorable, successful game for my players. So I will be lightly coordinating with Lee which kinds of things we might expect. Okay. And I will have some uh, sort of backup plans or some places to cut or expand or uh, a few, you know, this encounter might look like A or B or C uh, so that in the moment I can be like, oh, we're doing option C. Option C seems like the thing. Um, and of course, uh, not to self-plug, but look, I love D&D Beyond and I used it long before I officially worked here because it's very helpful. Oh, yeah. But I, I think if I didn't have something like that, I would definitely not be up for I'm dropping this into the game because it would be much harder for me to be like, I'm going to go look this monster up, get their stats handy and add them to the encounter we're doing, which I can now do in about three clicks of the mouse. Um, so... That sorry to be a commercial for a minute, but uh, that that's that is a thing I highly value. I, I can say I was you know you from my history you can tell that like I was pen and paper only for a very long time, and I was kind of I thought I was going to be a holdout. Mm. I was like I don't think I'll ever stop doing pen and paper only. I love books. I love pen and paper. I love the feel of doing my own stuff. Um, but it turns out, oh, it is so helpful. To just be like, I need to know about this spell. Here it is. I need to know about this monster. Here it is. I need to level up. I'm done. Uh, so yeah. I, that was before I worked here, I was already a convert. I think I have Satine Phoenix to thank for that, where she was like, we're doing a convention game. Sign up for D&D Beyond uh, and send me your character. And I was like, oh, this is so easy. <laughs> uh, but okay, it back out easy. of commercial mode. My actual prep for a chaos game is going to consist of... Um, Figuring out the easiest ways to add things, you can now save an encounter and just edit it on the fly. So I can literally go in and drop in a monster if I need to. Um, and having some sort of ABC versions of my major things planned. Um, and then it's just a matter of sort of vaguely keeping an eye on the clock, figuring out which goals I have for each of the characters once those come in, and figuring out how I can pivot my outline to accommodate whatever's coming down. I don't know if that was a helpful answer. It's helpful. It is. It's still like, wow, that's like, you're so good at it. Like, it's just. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope so. We'll find out. We can reconvene. You can be like, <laughs> what were you thinking? Uh, <laughs> Throw away that advice. No. <laughs> when you say A, B, or C scenario, like, are you talking about like just different, knowing like the, the different potential outcomes that some that oh, could happen. A, an or? A, B, and C version of something for me might be like, uh, this is how many monsters and of what type uh, I am planning for this encounter. Um, and here's the sort of 
physical situation or environment, I'm planning for it. And if we're sort of racing towards it and I'm like, actually, the B version where I take out a couple of the spellcasters because I need this to go faster, we might aim for the B version or the C version where it's all the same monsters, but I'm not going to do that environmental thing that I had planned as an extra complication. Oh, that's Um, interesting. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so sort of like uh, widgets that I might be able to be like, oh, we are suddenly dealing with like three extra pets. Um, I might need to consolidate some of my bad guys or add a couple of, you know, very low level minions so everybody has someone to punch. Um, there's going to be a limit to how much I can sort of do that on the fly. But that's kind of my plan with the, the A, B and C of it all. That makes sense. Let's be honest. There's going to be a lot of pets. <laughs> there's always so. a lot of pets. It's the most fun thing to do. It is. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I will just, you know, uh, second your love of a digital component to Dungeons & Dragons. When I got into it in, in 3.5, I had, to, I had to make a lot of those myself. Uh, there was no component. I even had a similar thing when the Spell Compendium came out for 3.5. I think I somehow got the digital text uh, somehow. I don't know how oh, I did. really? Oh, but I didn't use it for because for, I owned the book. But I used it really for searching. It was really yes. just for being able to be like, what spell is that? What does that do? And then being able to go to it immediately rather than having to thumb through the book. Now, I, like you, also love books. I, I love the physical product. I love that feeling of being, especially as a wizard character, like <laughs> arcane. Like it's where the um, things you do in the room around the table are similar to what your actual character would be doing of like pouring over tomes trying to find... <laughs> The right mystical combination of things in order to to beat the bad guys here. Um, but it has made it so much easier, especially when streaming online, just to be able to look up things and add things on the fly. Yeah, I do. Yes. And where where, you know, while while one never wants to slow down any kind of game, when you're doing online games, time is a little bit more of a factor than it usually yeah. is in a home game, um, where it is is less disruptive to sort of stop down for a bit and go hunting around for things. And I will say uh, more credit where credit is due. I, I think even before Satine got me on a DDB um, pretty early on, uh, my friend Sam DeLev had sort of opened mm. my eyes as a, oh, no, paper only forever for sort of that they very much have an eye on like the accessibility needs that can be met with some of these other ways of engaging, which are very important to me. And I know it's something at D&D Beyond, we are always working to improve that element of what we have going on. Um, but the ability to search for something and get that information handy. I know Sam, in in games that have PDFs, Sam has like 100 bookmarks where they're just hopping around inside the text. And I sort yes. of very much was like, ah, you they they opened my eyes uh, to, to a lot of those possibilities in a way that really stuck. Yeah. That whole accessibility thing is huge, right? Being able to to bookmark something and show how to get to it, it's it's uh, a, a great boon for everybody. Um, as well as the, the, the text-to-voice things that is mm-hmm. possible with uh, the D&D Beyond interface. Um, so great. Can't wait to see. Which again, hopefully, lets more people join us at the table who might not have thought that this was for them for other reasons. Um, I, and which we hopefully will be continuing to improve forever and ever um, in the places. I think in some places it works well and in some places less well. And I think that's something the team has a close eye on. Yep. It's all about removing those barriers. Yeah. As well as Knock making sure down. the athletes have the accessibility that they need <laughs> to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> no, but they're clearly still interested. It is. It's true. I know. 
That's mostly a joke, but it is true that we're bringing in so many different groups uh, yes. and removing those barriers from all those groups to be able to just yes. uh, roll some dice and have some fun. And I did. I had a friend in, uh, I believe this was a mage game uh, in in high school, um, but this was like one of the first people that I was close friends with who was sort of walking in both worlds. Like even way back then, like in the late 90s, he was always sort of torn between like the sports friends and the I have to go to my RPG friends table thing. And so it sort of, Early on, like, there have always been people who walk in both worlds. It's just been hard for us to sort of communicate it out. So, again, right back to what you said, Greg, I'm so delighted that we get to be like the brother or sister um, or sibling that pulls people through that door so that they can find out what great stuff has been going on behind it this whole time. We didn't mean to keep it a secret. It was just very hard to explain. And we're just we're working to make that part better. And now and with that, Spelljammer, we'll bring in even more people. Yes. Sci-fi nerds, come hang out with us even more Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Obligatory mention that if you happen to decide to pre-order Spelljammer Adventures in Space or Morningkin Presents Monsters in the Multiverse or Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel on d d Beyond, you're going to get some cool pre-order bonuses. Uh, I would be neglecting the incredible work of more of my colleagues uh, who put together the cool dice and backdrops and frames and things that come with those. If that happens... Uh, to suit you, please do check that out. It I'll stop cool. doing commercials now. I'm sorry. I'm just excited. I it's just love that you were able to say Morning King is multi- Monsters of the Multiverse I know, as fast as you were. Better than I the can. <laughs> You've had a lot of practice. Mordekin's Monsters of the Multiverse. Nope. The first Mm-mm. few attempts did not go that well, but I, <laughs> I don't want to brag because I'll just start messing it up on every stream after this if I do <laughs> right. that. You'll curse yourself. Very impressive. No worries. Awesome. Well, thanks, Amy, for being here and telling us all the amazing stuff about your background as well as uh, how we're continuing to break down all of the barriers and get more folks playing this game. I think D&D Beyond is a, is a big part of that. I hope so, and we're so excited to be joined in the family. Thank you both no, for having wait. me. This was such a blast. Yes, thank you for being here. Uh, because you are so awesome and you do so many great things, we've been talking about a lot about D&D Beyond, but how can people follow you, find out more about uh, the projects that you're doing? Oh, yes. Uh, you can find me at Enthusiamy, which is E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-M-Y, uh, on Twitter and on Twitch, where I do some personal streaming, a lot of retro games, an occasional book club, uh, various other things that I do part-time over there. On Instagram, I suppose, not particularly active, but please do follow me there because, as mentioned earlier, I'm kind of into everything, and I <laughs> like to keep uh, my hand in all of those different interests and activities, and I love to meet new people that, as we discussed, I already have something in common with. Nice. You go. Awesome. You will be wearing lots of different hats and having your hands in lots of different pies in all those pictures. <laughs> mm, yummy on pie. The social media. <laughs> now I'm hungry again. <laughs> Thanks so much, Amy. It was a delight. <laughs> Thank you. What an amazing human being doing wonderful stuff at D&D Beyond and now at Wizards. Uh, and so everywhere. Great stuff. Yes. Uh, love, love Amy. Great stuff. Follow her and be... As delighted as Greg and I currently are. <laughs> True that. Uh, and while you're giving her a follow, you know, you give me a follow. I'm at Greg Tito, at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. You can follow Shelly at Shelly Moo. Uh, or yes, you can. pay attention to all the fun D&D things happening at DungeonsAndDragons.com. 
Follow the YouTube channel. Lots of fun stuff happening there, including a new show called Legends of the Multiverse, starring lots of amazing people, including some of the folks that Amy was mentioning in her Jasper's Game Week game in Legends of the Multiverse, yes. which is very, very cool. And yeah, follow along on all that fun stuff for that. And we can follow along with what's happening with Drunky Two Shoes right about now. Oh my gosh. So you have recently just been fighting a gigantic doppelganger in its true form, rampaging through the city of Waterdeep. You have saved your brother who is falling from oh, the grasp again. of this thing. On So he is unconscious, but in a hay wagon behind you. You're on a griffin flying with your friend Balthazar, the gnome wizard, trying to defend uh, the city from more destruction from this giant creature. And you're banking towards it. Uh, it is now its turn, and it is not happy with the amount of explosions, spells, griffins who are attacking it. So there <laughs> are um, a large number of griffins. I think I said uh, eight griffin riders. You're one of them. Um, and so it is trying to swing its big, meaty fists and to attempt to hit. Uh, and, oh, it crit. What? One of them. I missed one and crit another. And I'm going to roll to see which one it will hit on a one. Where's my D8s at? Where's my D8s at? Uh, on a one, it'll hit yours. My griffin? Yeah. The griffin you're right. No, it got a three. So it does not hit yours, but that... What, you're this big, meaty, plasmoid-almost-looking uh, hand Plasma. strikes and punches one of the griffins, and oh, uh, no. it, in its writers careens, uh, hits uh, the side of a two-story building, and you hear a big, wet, awful slap of uh, skin, and then that griffin and its writer it. slide down the building. Um, you're not sure if they're okay. That yeah. is... We have to go help them. You're going to go help them? Okay. Yes. So you uh, make me an animal handling check as you try to steer the griffin. Again, you two are both kind of using your hands to work together and uh, get this going. Do I have advantage because he's helping me? Sure. I'll okay. give you advantage. Why? Wonderful. Did you have one? I got an eight. I mean, eight. eight total. Oh, and now I got a 12. So I'm I am clearly distraught by this and not... On my game. All right, so uh, Balthazar's like, wait, what are you doing? We've got to attack it before it hurts more we of us. We have to help them. The two of you are kind of at odds a little bit, uh, and you uh, get the griffin to kind of slow down, and it's hovering kind of above Ugh. where this crash landing had happened. Uh, confused, trying to, it's trying to turn its head. The griffin trying to say he wants to go attack. Uh, but what do you do? You, you're, you're basically on the ground. You could jump off if you wanted to, or you can... Well, to fly with I don't want to jump off. Can I just go ahead and be like, fine, fine, turn around and um, firebolt the doppelganger while still moving in the direction to help those people? No, you have to make a choice. You're kind of stopped here, near here. Um, and again, yeah, you can, you can, he, Balthazar is, he's like, I'm going to go in and get attack. If you want to help them, you get off. I can't firebolt and jump. And a firebolt, again, just firebolt is not a ton of damage. You're not going to do too much to it. It's 2d10. Could do. True. What are you going to uh, do? I'll jump. All right. I'll get, see you on the other side. Balthazar <laughs> takes off with the griffin. Thank uh, and you, you. And you make your way to this uh, 
um, crashed Griffin with its writer. And we'll see what happens when you get to them next time. (laughs) I feel bad. That could have been us, though. So you're you're being a hero, a heroine. I gotta help him. All right, that's your choice. That's what you. I literally have nothing to help with. (laughs) I have not a potion, not a band aid, not an Advil. I have nothing. You're not. Yeah. Just some good, positive thinking. Just give him a hug, but not too hard because it might crush their already broken bones. Oh, (laughs) the way you described that. I mean, really. That's really gross. Go take a nap. <laughs> 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 uh.